Good morning. It's a huge privilege to be here. It's really the family show you got going on today. Even Aaron got up there somehow. I'm not sure how he did that, but uh, uh, it's great to be here. As the video said, uh, I'm part of an organization called Steiger. I know many of you are probably very familiar, uh, and like Peter alluded to, the partnership that we have with this church is really meaningful uh, for me and my family. You guys have been uh, tremendous support uh, over the years, and so anytime we can come uh, and share what we're doing, but more importantly, uh, show ways in which you can join us uh, in the work to reach people outside of the church. I count that as a privilege. Uh, Peter was asking me right before this started uh, how to describe what I do, and it is kind of complicated, uh, but essentially I'm passionate about uh, reaching people for the gospel and inspiring other people to do the same. Uh, that's basically it. Those are my passions, and so I create a lot of content. I do a lot of speaking uh, a lot of different things to try to reach people and inspire others to reach people. Uh, that's basically what it is. Uh, just a few resources uh, for you to connect with us. If what I say really resonates with you this morning, uh, Peter already mentioned this, but we have a podcast called Provoke and Inspire. Uh, we actually have a, a podcast network with four different podcasts on it right now. Uh, one for a Portuguese-speaking audience, one for a Russian-speaking audience. Uh, this is our main one, Provoke and Inspire. Um, but we did just launch a brand new one uh, called No Ordinary Life uh, that features my wife, Courtney Pierce, my mom, Jody Pierce, and then our, the wife of our European director, Anya Greenwood. Um, so go check out all of those. Uh, like Peter said, we've had the privilege of talking to some of the, the heavy hitters of the Christian world, uh, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller. Uh, we had Dallas Jenkins from The Chosen. Uh, but the whole heart of it is, how can we reach people or how can we be faithful for Jesus in a post-Christian world? Um, because that's what we're living in. We're living in a post-Christian world. And so go check that out. I think you'll find that it's entertaining, but also very challenging. Uh, I also wrote a book about three years ago called Jesus in the Secular World uh, that also has been made into a, a, a small group series on Right Now Media. Uh, and again, as the tagline of the book suggests, how to reach a culture in crisis. We have a culture that's in crisis, that sees God as an irrelevant tradition of the past and is not coming to the church looking for answers. Uh, and this book is, is what I've been able to learn living in this life. I mean, really, I grew up in Amsterdam. My parents were, were reaching the punks and the anarchists there. Uh, and I got to see faith in action. And I've had the privilege of really seeing God move in the secular world my whole life. Uh, and so this book is just through the lens of my life. How can we reach people? How can you reach people that are far from God? Because we all uh, have people in our lives that, that just aren't looking to the church for answers uh, and we need to go to them. So check that out. We have them in the lobby. We ask for a $10 donation, but if that's a barrier, just grab one. We don't want to lift all those heavy boxes back to the car, so please lighten our load in that way. Uh, and finally, we have a brand new resource called, well, it's called Is There More Spiritual Conversations for the Non-Religious? And that's the last slide that should be up there. Maybe it never got up there. Uh, the whole heart of this is imagine a small group, but geared for non-Christians, this is not supposed to be a substitute for your small group. This is supposed to be a tool that you can use to have spiritual conversations in a non-religious way. I have discovered that people are hungry for Jesus. They just are not interested in religion. And often they don't know the difference. And so this is an eight-part series asking some of the deep questions. Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Is there right and wrong? Do I go somewhere when I die, it's done in a very presuppositional, non-threatening way, short, compelling videos with some basic questions. The whole point of it is, 
there's people in your life who don't know Jesus, how about you do a really powerful New Year's resolution and have a spiritual conversation with them in a non-religious way that I believe will ultimately lead them to discovering who Jesus really is. So if you go to steiger.org, the name of our mission, slash spiritual conversations, you can find out how to get it. It's free, obviously. There's a resource for how to go through it. Steiger.org slash spiritual conversations. Man, if everyone in this church would say, there's one person in my life who needs to hear about Jesus, this is a tool that I could use to reach them. That's what we want. That's why we created it. That's why we spent hundreds and hundreds of hours putting it together, is to mobilize the church to reach those who are far from God. I don't know about you, but uh, this has been a weird few years, right? And at the beginning of 2020, and as the pandemic started to roll out, I made a lot of really bold, very stupid predictions. Like I'm sure a lot of people did, right? This is going to be over by April, right, or whatever. This will be over by the end of the summer, or definitely by the end of the year. Oh, we won't be, you know, we won't be dealing with this in March. Oh, by the summer of 2021, this will be over. (laughs) Here we are, almost in February 2022, and we're still dealing with this. It's crazy. There hasn't been something this globally disruptive since World War II. It's been a massive thing that we've all lived through and are living through. And then in 2020, if you add to that the killing of George Floyd and the contentious political season, this has been a very tumultuous period. I remember saying before all this started, I would often say on our podcast, you know, I've never really experienced something that is just globally disruptive. I actually am on record saying things like that. And then this all hits. You know, I think it's very natural for Christians to feel overwhelmed. Like, what is going on? What do I make of all this? How do I respond? And there's so many opinions flying around and there's so much information. I want to challenge us this morning, for those that are tired of this, for those that feel overwhelmed, just to stop and ask a basic question. And that's, what does Jesus think about all this? What would he have us do? Not what what this news outlet or this political party or this family member, what would Jesus have us do in the midst of all this chaos? Because as far as I see it, we have three options. Out of fear, we can retreat. Say, I'm sick of this. I'm selling my house in the cities. I'm moving deeper into the suburbs. I'm out. It's too much. Pull my kids out of everything. I'm just putting a wall around myself and my family, and I'm out. Okay? Out of apathy, we can do nothing. We can just say, what am I supposed to do? I'm one person, this problem, these problems are overwhelming. What could I possibly do? I'll just ride it out. There's nothing really I could do anyway. Or, I believe we can do what Jesus would have us do and see crisis as opportunity. I think followers of Jesus are the most equipped to handle crisis. Why? Because we have the truth. We actually know what is true. And that truth should lead to hope. And let me tell you, there's two things the world does not have a lot of right now, and that's truth and hope. They're so confused. They don't know what's right or wrong. They don't know what the purpose of life is, and you throw these destabilizing conditions into it all, and people are are freaked out. One of the number one things Google during the height of the pandemic in 2020 was, how do I pray? How do I pray? People are becoming desperate. They don't know what's true. They lack hope. And now our voices should be loudest. But sadly, 
Many of us have, out of fear, retreated, or out of apathy, done nothing. I don't believe our voice has been present like Jesus would have it be. And this morning, I want to talk about getting our voice back. But as Jesus defines that, because a lot of people go, right on, I should post more snarky things on social media. That's not what I mean by getting your voice back. This isn't a political speech. This is about getting your voice back as Jesus defines it. And I want to talk about three ways we can do that this morning. First way is we need to get out of our comfort zones. We got to get out of our bubbles. God wants to use you to share his love in your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood, with people who don't know Jesus. But it's a little hard to do that if we don't know anyone who doesn't know Jesus. And of course, I don't mean in a superficial way. We all interact with people that are far from God, superficially or on some level. But I'm talking about the kind of relationship or the kind of courage where you're willing to take that conversation to another level, where you're willing to ask the deeper, harder questions. You know, Jesus demonstrated not only, of course, incredible love for people, but a willingness to confront hard things, to ask deep questions. Our friendships have got to be more than sports and weather. We have got to be willing to go beyond the surface with people. Because like I said, beyond this thin veneer of contentment is desperation. And if we'd be willing to ask, people would open up. It's incredible. But step one is we actually have to get out to where people are. We have to be where they are like Jesus. You know, for me, a lot of how I interact with people outside of the church is very itinerant. You know, I'm part of this band, No Longer Music. We do 75, 80 shows in a, in a summer. We preach the gospel in big public areas all over Europe, South America, all over the world. We preach, and then we get off the stage, and we interact with people night after night. It's incredible. Having all of these compelling spiritual conversations in a non-religious way. But as 2020 hit, all of this went away. Right? All the touring stopped like it did for the entire planet. And so a lot of that sort of built-in mechanism that I had for reaching people went away as well. And, you know, I'm, like I said, I do a lot in content. So hours on behind cameras, writing, speaking to cameras. But as the months went on, I really felt part of me dying spiritually. Like, I don't want to, no offense, but I don't want to just hang out with Christians. I don't want to just be around people that are like me, that think like me, that act like me. I could feel this part of my spiritual life dying. And so as the, the summer of 2021 hit, our, our media team got together and we said, what can we do? And we felt like, you know, we should, we, we came up with this entire project where we'd go onto the streets of the U of M, the campus, and we would ask spiritual conversations in a non-religious way. And, and so we said, yeah, let, let's do this. When the weather gets a little better, let's go out and do this. But even as these words came out of my mouth, everything inside of me was like, no, no, because I hate this kind of stuff. If I'm real honest with you, like, I could do this. I got no problem in front of a thousand people, but you put me in front of a stranger, a new person, one-on-one, -on -one, it's like the worst thing for my personality. So even though I was like, let's do this, inside I was like, no, I don't want to do this. But I, like I said, I felt this spiritual atrophy, and I felt like God said, no, you've, you've got to get beyond your comfort zone. You can do the things you're good at, but you need to do something that makes you a little uncomfortable. 
And so as the time would come up, we'd say, we're going on Thursday, and I would just be dreading it. Like I had to kick, drag myself kicking and screaming. I didn't want to do it. I would come up with every excuse, oh, the weather is not that great, or I could delegate this, right? I've done this for a while. I've got people who can do this for me. But I just knew, no, you got to go. And so we would get in the car, and we'd drive down there, and we'd stand on the side of the street, and people would say no, and I'd be with my videographer, and I'd say, it's a great way to start the day, a healthy dose of rejection. That makes anyone feel good. But we'd persevere, and I'm telling you, all of a sudden, we'd have that conversation. And it was like, this is why we're here. Like the Holy Spirit had appointed us to be there for that moment. Every time there was this defining conversation, and then another one, and then another one, and we're praying for all these these hungry young students, maybe literally, but also spiritually. And it's just unbelievable. You'd get in the car and you would just feel this soul level satisfaction that no amount of entertainment will ever give you. Like this is why I'm on this planet. To have these kinds of conversations, to share the love of Jesus with these young people who might otherwise never hear it. And I went week after week, and I still had to fight. But every time, it was like ridiculous. Like I would tell people, when you read the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, it almost felt like I can reach as many people as the time I'm willing to sacrifice. We go out for four hours, we'll pray for five people. If we'd gone out for eight, it'd have been ten. They're just they're just there, hungry. But we had to be willing to step through fear and do something a little uncomfortable, do something a little disruptive, get out of the box a little bit. I can tell you so many stories. We we were out there and it had been great. We had the rejection. There's always the rejection. But then there was the great conversations. And then right before we're about to leave, this guy comes up to us. He says, are you guys Christians? I said, yeah, yeah, we're Christians. He said, tell me how that happened. So we're starting to explain, my videographer and I, our, our testimony and, uh, you know, how we came to Jesus. And he said, wow, that's so interesting. You know, I grew up in the church, but it was all religion. It was all hypocrisy, and I wanted nothing to do with it. So I said, I went all the way in the opposite direction, and I became an atheist. But he says, as I went down that path, I started to discover how bankrupt that was. Like, really? We're just material? There's... Like this, this love I have for beauty and justice and this, this innate sense of the transcendent in me is just nothing. He said, you know what, just last week, I picked up a Bible for the first time and I started reading it and it is effing awesome. He said, I'm just like blown away. He said, do you think we could, you could help me understand this? Do you think we could read this together? I said, yes, we could do that. And I offered to pray for him. I said, can we pray for you? And he said, I don't know how to do that. Could you show me how to pray? And so we explained to this young guy that praying is just like talking to a friend. It's not some religious duty that we do. So we prayed with him. We were having these kinds of conversations every single time we went out, and it was unbelievable. It totally invigorated my faith, reinvigorated my faith, and just brought life I had to be willing to get out of my my bubble. I had to be willing to get out of my comfort zone. But man, I'm telling you, if we're going to reclaim our voice as followers of Jesus, we need to be doing the same in our own context. Honestly, when we are in our bubbles, we ask questions that people 
don't care about. We answer questions that people aren't even asking, and we just get weird. Honestly, we just get weird. We wonder why the secular world looks at us and goes, I don't understand you. It's because we're not around them. Not really, not in a meaningful way. But when you're willing to step beyond yourself and ask the hard questions, God will open up your heart and your mind to what they really are thinking, what they really care about. You will no longer have to guess how to communicate the gospel to them because you will know, because you will know them. And if we're going to reclaim our voice, we got to be like Jesus and get out of our bubbles. Secondly, we need to stop being shocked by sin. I want to try to explain something very complicated to you. Sinful people sin. Complicated, right? Sounds stupid, but I just don't understand why the church is so surprised by sin sometimes. We're so outraged all the time. We're so shocked by the world and the things they do and the people they vote for and the, the way they act and the policies they're for, the things they, we're so shocked by sin. We should be so familiar with sin because we should be aware of our own sin. We need to be, we need to reimmerse ourselves in what the gospel really means. What does the gospel mean? Right, that you did a bunch of things, checked a bunch of boxes, came here enough, and you're good, right? It's not what the gospel is. The gospel says you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough. Jesus does for you what you cannot do for yourself. What does that mean? That means that if I understood that, I could never possibly be self-righteous. I could never possibly look out in the world and go, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I don't go to those places or vote in that way, or act in that way. Followers of Jesus should be the most humble, the most understanding. And I, but, but what I can tell you is almost every young person I talk to has a story of being kicked out of the church, not welcomed by it. We're so shocked at sin all the time, and yet we should be the most welcoming. But Jesus knew, he knew that we wouldn't get it. They didn't get it back then. We don't get it now. And we need our self-righteousness confronted. Jesus tells this parable of a debtor. And he has a debt he will never be able to repay. But miraculously, the king, to who, the, the person he owes the debt to, he just wipes it clean. He just says, no, don't worry about it. I forgive you. So what does this debtor do? Well, he becomes the most generous, humble merciful, gracious person ever, right? It's not what he does. It says in Matthew 18, 28, but when the man left the king, so right away, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. King's not super happy about this once he finds out, needless to say. Skipping down to verse 32, it says, when the master called the servant in, he said, you wicked servant, he said, I had canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed, over the, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Fair enough. Fair enough, right? How could he respond that way? He just got this unforgivable amount of debt forgiven for him, and his response is to treat someone that way? How dare he? 
And yet too often, I believe that's how we act. We forget who we are. We forget the debt that's been forgiven for us, and so we turn our noses up at the world and the way that they act. We're smug and self-righteous. It's us versus them. And we distance ourselves from the very people that Jesus wants to use you to reach. But if we're going to reach them, and if they're going to listen to us, we got to stop being so shocked by sin. we got to be like Jesus. And yeah, there is stuff, absolutely. But Jesus went after the heart knowing that the behavior would follow. He went after the heart. He was a friend. He was merciful. And he knew that the behavior would follow. Finally, we need to keep it simple. We got to get out of our bubbles, stop being shocked by sin, and we need to keep it simple. You know, we live in a world where there's just way too much information. I don't know about you, but at the start of the pandemic, I was reading and listening and watching way too much. My brain started to hurt. I had to turn it all off and really discipline myself. It was just too much information. And I think some of you can relate, but there's others of you that this is your defense against fear. There's so many things you're afraid of, so many evil agendas coming against us, so many things we have to guard ourselves against. And we think the way to do it is to arm ourselves with information, I got to know all the right arguments. I got to know all the right defenses. I got to fill myself with all the information about what's going on out there. And we fuel this fear. And all it does is drive a wedge between those out there and us. Look, I get that there are things to be concerned about. But my heart is that we would, you know, we would stop just talking about liberals and the LGBT and Marxists. And we would actually start talking to them. That they would not become subjects to fear, but people to love, because that is what Jesus did. And yet too many Christians think the whole point of my life is to arm myself with all this information, all the right arguments, so that I might defend myself from the evil things that are out there. And then if we do go out there, we think that's the way we reach people, with the right arguments, the right information. Jesus did not call you to make dumb people smart, but to take spiritually dead people and make them alive. And we do that by keeping it simple, by not seeing the labels, by not focusing on the fear, but by seeing the person. You know, a couple days after the George Floyd killing, our group went out there to see what we could do to help, like so many churches. I mean, it was inspiring to see And we were out there talking to people, and I remember I was talking to this young guy, he called himself a neo-Marxist. You know, and I, obviously on the surface of that label, thought, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, quite frankly, dumb things about the things he believes. And I could have put my attention there. Tell me how you could possibly ascribe to such a naive economic and political system. Let's talk about that. We could have gotten in some sort of argument where I did my best to prove how dumb he was. Instead, I said, that's interesting. Tell me about that. And let me tell you, just beyond the label, just below the surface, was just a young guy who saw injustice in the world and wanted to make it better. Who wanted to make the world better. Who recognized that things aren't the way they ought to be. And I said, you know, I love that your heart is for justice. So is mine. 
But let me tell you about this Jesus and how apart from him there is no justice. And I got to explain the gospel to this guy and pray with him. Again, I could have pointed out all the ways that he was wrong, how dumb his policies were, how bogus his labels were, but I didn't do that. Because I knew that this is ancillary stuff. That Jesus saw the guy behind the question, behind the labels, and so should I. Jesus wants to use us in this world, but we have to keep it simple. That's what he did. I think of the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. You know, here's this hated weasel. Took advantage of people. Betrayed his own countrymen. Knowing what Jesus knew, the crowd would love nothing more than for him to just call him out. You know, publicly embarrass him and humiliate him for being such a coward and such a betrayer. But that's not what Jesus does. Out of all people, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And this infuriated the religious elite. But what kind of effect does this have on him? Luke 19, 8 and 9. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus shows mercy. He offers friendship, and the response is heart transformation. This is our model, guys. Not to make dumb people smart, not to let everyone know how wrong they are, but to show friendship and show mercy and allow God to work. Consider Paul's pow powerful words in Romans 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is kindness that is intended to turn you from sin? Isn't this your story? Did God's grace and kindness not turn you from your sin? Is it not something you did not deserve despite all of your wrong thinking, actions, and attitudes? Guys, we need to keep it simple. You know, the world is chaotic for sure, but it's been chaotic before and it will be, it will be chaotic again. But for me, my heart is that I would thrive at a time like this that followers of Jesus would thrive at a time like this. Guys, let's not retreat. Let's not be apathetic. Let's not become angry or distant. Let's be like the monks who in the Black Plague, when everyone else was fleeing the sick, they ran into the mess to attend the dying, the risk of their own lives. That's who Jesus calls us to be. Sacrificial, radical, into the mess. Because we have truth and we have hope. But it ain't going to happen if we stay in our bubbles. If we keep it clean, we just interact with those that think and act like us and never are willing to go deeper, ask the hard question, risk the rejection, have the spiritual conversation in a non-religious way with someone who is desperate to hear it. We got to stop being so shocked by sin. Yeah, there are things that need to change out there. There are things that need to change in here. But thankfully, that's not the criteria. It never has been. And finally, we just need to keep it simple, as I said. Remember that most people 
are not that different than you. And what they have that you had was an encounter, what they need that you have is an encounter with Jesus. And I don't think there's anyone better, more qualified to do that than you. God wants to use you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that though things are crazy, Lord, they aren't beyond you, never have been, and won't be, Lord. I thank you that everyone in this room has a role to play. This is not for uniquely qualified, a little unbalanced Christians. This is for all of us. And so I pray that you would show us practically how we can get beyond our comfort zones and engage with people in our lives that may act fine but need the truth desperately. I pray that you would give us the grace to see beyond the sin around us, recognizing the the sin in us and the humility that that should produce. And finally, Lord, let us show kindness and mercy like you did, knowing that that is what leads to change. Use us in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.